they called it the decision. ESPN decided to make it a big, I guess we'd call it spectacle, and they scheduled it for July 8th, 2010. And it was the day that LeBron James would determine or would at least announce where he would play next. He had played for the Cleveland Cavaliers, the hometown team, for a while. But he was a free agent now, and so he was looking to go potentially elsewhere. And so ESPN came up with this idea, and they had a 75-minute special so he could say one phrase. Ten million people, or ten million homes, actually turned uh, tuned into this uh, media event. And he said this just 25 minutes in. He said, I'll be taking my talents to the South Beach. And he went off and he joined his friends and fellow All-Stars, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, and he went down and he played for the Miami Heat for the next several years. And in those years, in the next three years, they went to the finals three times. And the last two times, they actually won the NBA finals. What's the point of that story? The point is this. We all want to play for a winner. LeBron James was arguably the best basketball player in the NBA at that time. And yet he needed to be with a couple other guys to be on that team that was guaranteed to go to the championship and that was guaranteed to be the winner. We all like to play for winners. We all like to cheer for winners. That's why it's so hard living in Detroit, isn't it? But we goes all the way back to even our younger days, right? Remember those days of dodgeball in, in gym class? when they would line you up and number you off on which team you're going to be on, and you start looking down there and counting off, like, who's the kid who's got the really good arm? Because I would try to get, like, you know, in that same even-odd, even-odd, so I'd be sure to be on his team. So he was throwing with me and not at me. But we do that, too. We want to, we want to work for winning corporations and winning businesses. We want to be part of winning marriages and winning families. And we also, I hope, I think... We want to be part of a winning church. The news is this, though. Not every church wins. In fact, there's a lot of churches that lose. Now, I've been part of a lot of losing teams in my life. Whether it's playing soccer or softball or basketball, I've played them all, and I've lost in, in all of those realms. And I've lost for different reasons. I've lost because I've been on teams that weren't well coached. I've lost because I've been on teams where we didn't um, have good talent and I wasn't helping a whole lot in that regard. I've lost on teams that we just played way over our heads and, and, and teams that were way better than we were. I've lost for a lot of different reasons, but I don't like it. And I don't really enjoy it. In fact, if you've played sports, you probably realize this that the sting of losing hurts way more than the joy of victory feels good. It's a weird deal. I've won a few times too, and we, we've carried the, the, the trophy around in the championship. It's like, yes, but when you lose, it, like, it sticks with you for a lot longer. Well, as a church, here's the good news. The church was made to win. In fact, when the church is announced, Jesus said this about it. He said, it's going to prevail. It will win. The church will win. The question is, how about each of us in individual churches? Are we part of churches themselves that are winning? So let's go ahead and look what Jesus said here. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, he said this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against, or you could say it this way, the gates of hell are not going to win. 
the church is going to win. But if churches are going to win, I believe there's there's probably several factors. But there's one key factor that I want us to really focus in on this morning. And it's a factor that we're going to focus in on for the next several weeks as we go through this new series that we're calling Together. And that is the factor. Churches win because churches somehow figure out how to do this together. Now, I believe that we are winning as a church right now. Attendance is going up. We're uh, Yesterday, we started this class, Grasping God's Word, which is really a deep dive into how to study the Bible. And we had, I think we had 11 people that were here yesterday. We have a huge uh, percentage of people who are involved in ministry. We're launching this kickball project, and we've gotten a great response to that so far. We're making a difference on our community. And sometimes I go to these meetings like at Grayson School, and I wish you could all come with me. Maybe I just need to, like, film them. Because I'm excited about what God's doing just in our ability to reach out in our community. We're seeing people that are trusting Christ. And we are winning as a church in part because of this word right here that we're talking about in this series, together. But I say all that to say this. I always think we can do better. And every team that I played on, you know what we do? We practice because we want to improve. And we practice because we want to get better. And every team I've ever coached, we have these practices. And we watch sometimes game film. And we talk through our different strategies. Because no matter how well we played the game before, we want to play better in the next game. And no matter how well we do as a church, I hope it's always our heartbeat and our passion that we're looking at things and saying, how could we do this better? How can we be a better church? How can we make a a greater difference in our community as a church? And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through some passages in the book of Acts. So you can turn there if you'd like or, or get your phone out or whatever you're using. We're going to look through several passages in the book of Acts that look at the first church, and the first church won. The first church won big time. And I want to see what we can learn from that church about how to be a winning versus a losing team. But let me make a couple observations just to start with this morning. The first one is this. God wrote the book on teams. In fact, God himself, if you want to really simplify it, is a team. In the Trinity, He is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He's all three of these at the same time, but there's some element where God Himself is a team. When God created man, He put him in the garden, man was sitting by himself, and God said, no, 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 that's not good. It's not good that He's alone. I'm going to give Him a wife. And He created a team that we call marriage. And then He brought along kids, and they created a team with their parents that we call family. And all through the scriptures, we see God putting people together in teams. And sure, he raises up individual leaders, but even those individual leaders, he surrounds with people to help him. When he works with the disciples, he doesn't just gather one, he gathers a team. And God writes and wrote the book on teams. Now, the greatest team concepts are twofold. The first one is this, the greatest team concept, I believe, is unity. Unity means that we all come together around a common cause or a common goal or a common purpose. It doesn't mean that we're all the same. It doesn't mean that we all think the same. It doesn't even mean that we all agree on everything. But it does mean that we agree on the main thing. Diversity is the other 
concept that I think is so crucial to team. That means that we all come to the picture with different assets, different abilities, different gifts or talents. And anybody who's building a team realizes that you don't need everybody to be the same on your team. You actually need people to be different on your team. If you're building a basketball team, you need some good ball handlers. You need some good shooters. You need some good rebounders. You need some good defensive players. You need some guys who are quick and fast. You might need some bigs to put down in the paint to play with their back to the basket. You need a diversity of abilities, talents, gifts, even passions. And so when we look at teams, we're looking at unity with diversity. And while those two things can become conflicting, they're supposed to be complementary and work together that way. A third thing here, teams have far greater potential than individuals. You could take probably the greatest basketball player in the world and put him against five high school guys, and guess what? The five high school guys will probably win because team has far more potential than individuals do. And then lastly here, the church should be the greatest example of a winning team. And I know a lot of times in in society, in our culture, the church will go out and look at businesses and try to identify best practices and say, what are you guys doing over there that we can apply over here? And I don't really have a problem with that, other than the fact I think we get that backwards sometimes. I think that as a church, we should have this idea of team so mastered that businesses and institutions and organizations in the community are going, how are you guys doing that? Because God writes the book on this, and God made church to be team-oriented from the very, very beginning. In fact, that's what we're going to look at here as we dive into Acts chapter 1, and I want to look at verse number 8. Jesus says this right before he goes into heaven. He says, I tell you that, or or he tells them this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And we'll get to what that means in just a minute. And he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he's taking that verse that we looked at here, Matthew 16, 18, which the disciples really didn't have a clue what that meant necessarily. And he's starting to define this for them. But he defines this for them by telling them what they're purpose is going to be or what the church's purpose is going to be and the purpose of the church is to be witnesses to share the story of jesus wherever you happen to live jerusalem wherever you happen to go judea or wherever the people that you've told about jesus happen to go which means be samaria or maybe the uttermost parts of the earth the ends of the earth that jesus says here but it's the idea of witnesses. And if we're going to be a church that wins, we've got to stay focused on our ultimate purpose. And the ultimate purpose of the church is simply to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about it in what we call the Great Commission sometimes. He said, you need to go and make disciples. But what's the first step of making a disciple? It's to share Christ and why he is worth following. And so the ultimate purpose of the church is that we are about sharing Jesus so that other people, like we have, can put their faith and trust in him. Because we sang about it in a song this morning, because he is the way, and he is the truth, and he is the life. And so many people are looking for direction in life, and looking for just the feeling of being alive. They're looking for truth in life, and Jesus offers all of those things. 
And we need to stay focused on that purpose. But when churches lose sight of this purpose, they get in trouble. It's just like a team that when it loses sight of the idea that we want to win the game, it gets itself in trouble. We'll talk a little bit more about this as we go. But we need to stay focused on the main issue. And the main issue is that we share Jesus and that we reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, the story continues on then. Jesus says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be witnesses. Just tell what's happened to you. Just tell what you've experienced. Just tell what's been your story. And I'd say that to all of us. Sometimes like, oh gosh, it's so hard to talk about my faith or so hard to, to share you know, what's going on at church, whatever, somebody. Just tell what's happening to you. Just make sure it's real with you and then it's not that hard to share with somebody else. But Jesus tells them that and then he goes up into heaven. And they're standing there and they're looking at each other and I'm not sure they still have a handle on what the church is supposed to be about, even though they're about to start one. And they don't really know what to do, so it tells us what they did, and that's in Acts 1, verse number 14. Or excuse me, verse number 12. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk, and that's from that event where Jesus had just told them this purpose and went on into heaven. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Those are the 11 remaining disciples. And then notice in verse 14 what it says, though. They all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. And a couple of little sidelights here that we think is interesting. It tells us that it wasn't just the 11 disciples. It said also Mary and then Jesus' brothers, who now had become convinced that Jesus really was who he claimed to be. And then it actually says the women, and it doesn't give them by name, but it tells us at the outset that this idea of the church is going to be inclusive. It wasn't just about the disciples soon to become apostles. It wasn't just that group of 11. It was them, and it was this family, and it was the women, and it's all of us as the church moves forward. And as the church moves forward, everybody plays a prominent role because we see the apostles in the first place, having great impact at Pentecost, we'll talk about in a minute, but it's one of the deacons, Stephen, who, who highlights chapter 7. It's one of the deacons, Philip, who highlights chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And it's one of the women uh, who highlights chapter 16, in a sense, of the book of Acts, as, as you get to Philippi there. But everybody plays a part in this story. And so they get together. And they pray, and here's what happens when they pray in chapter 2, verse number 1. The day of Pentecost came, and that was a feast day for the Jews. And they were all, there's that word again, together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They come together for the feast days. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because they heard people talking in their own language. And they were amazed and said, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us is hearing in our own native language? But what happened here is the Holy Spirit came on all of them and they left the building where they were and they went out into the community that surrounded them, 
and they shared the good news of Jesus in languages that they didn't even know how to speak, and yet the Holy Spirit was helping them. And people started to hear the good news. And then Peter jumps up and gives a sermon. And he gives a sermon, which was his first sermon. And if you really want to look at it technically, I don't know that, you know, if you went to seminary, if they'd hold it up as one of the most awesome sermons ever. It was okay. And yet the result of this sermon is incredible. Because if we get all the way down to verse number 41, it tells us what the 3,000 people say, hey, I want to be part of the team. And so this team is inclusive, but it's expanding. And it's expanding with great impact and great power and exponentially. And we've gone from a dozen, we've gone to now where we've got 3,000 plus people who are part of this team. And that team became a force and that team became a movement. But why? Because the Holy Spirit came. And that's the second point here this morning. If we're going to be a church that wins, we have to depend on Holy Spirit power. We could come up with all of the best practices. We could come up with great strategies and techniques, and we could come up with all the the best bells and whistles of everything that's out there, whether it's marketing or organizational management or whatever. And we can potentially build a congregation or a team. But if we want to be a winning team, it's going to go back through the role of the Holy Spirit in this place. It makes prayer important. It makes walking in the Spirit important. It makes things like living in joy and peace and love and gentleness and kindness and grace and forgiveness. These things that are the fruit of the Spirit, they have to be evident and they have to be central to who we are as a church. We need to be avoiding the things that say that the, the, the Bible tells us grieve the Spirit. Things like bitterness and things like anger and things like gossip. Those things destroy what we're trying to do because we want to be tuned into the Holy Spirit. And we want to be a church that at the end of the day, somebody says, well, how did you do that? And we finally say, well, you know, uh, it had to be God. Because this is bigger than anything that we could come up with. And at the end of the day, Peter probably wasn't saying, wow, look at that great sermon I just preached. I think he was saying, whoa, what just happened? Because I'm not really very good at speaking. I've never done it before. And so if we're going to be a church that wins, it has to be the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? Verse number 42 of Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching into fellowship, into breaking of bread, into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day they commit, uh, continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day they kept getting back together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to those who were being saved. And this team just keeps growing and growing and growing. Part of it is because together was such a big thing. But when they got together, in fact, this is the question I have. Why were they so excited about getting together? Well, it says some things here. It says they were excited because they saw some of the great things that God was doing. They also were excited to get together because they were learning things in their faith. But I think part of the reason they were getting together is because they were just enjoying what was going on. 
And they were enjoying eating with each other. And they were enjoying praying with each other. And they were enjoying sharing life with each other. And it was like this group of people who are like, not just best friends, but like all of this exciting stuff was going on and everybody was getting to experience it. And as we read that verse, you hear of life transformation and life change, but you also hear of excitement and, and even enjoyment. And I think that brings us to a third thing. If we're going to be a church that wins, we need to be a place of positivity, or better yet, a tribe of possibility. A tribe where we are excited about what's going on, where we talk about it, where we're aware of it, where we observe it, where we get pumped up about it. I like positive people. I, I don't know about you. Would you rather hang out with somebody who, who can tell you their list of all the things that are going wrong in the world? Or would you rather find somebody who is excited about whatever it is that happened, you know, going on? I mean, I, I've met people that, you know, you could give them a million dollars and they'd be upset about the fact that, you know, it was only a million. I've also met people, like, you could give them a rock to play with and they're like, hey, this is so fun. Now, I'd rather hang out with this person. I might wonder a little bit about his sanity, but I'd rather hang out with this person. But I'd rather go to a church, too, where people are excited and where people are anticipating and where people are sharing and where people are talking about the good things that God's doing because He is doing God things. Because that's what gives energy to the team. It's like playing for a team. When you go into the game with confidence, when you go into... I mean, you ever... ever, What do we... We have pep talks before the game. And the coach walks in and goes... Well, guys, we're probably going to lose today. You want to play for that guy? No, we want to win. But we win by saying, you know what? We're meaner than the other team. We're tougher than the other team. We we can play into the fourth quarter more than the other team. And it's this excitement and this energy that comes from positivity. So we're going to do something right now here. In line with this, um, people in the back, ushers have some cars. They're going to come pass this out. I want everybody to get a card here this morning. And when you get that card, go ahead, guys, come on right now. So, you know what we're talking about? Uh, get these passed out there, right? When you get this card, there's going to be a side one and a side two. And it's pretty obvious which one's side one because it has one on that side. And side two has two on that side. So I need everybody to get one of these. And I need you to fill it out. And if you don't want to play, you don't have to play it. I'm not putting anybody on the spot here, right? But I'd like you to fill this out, grab a pen. Side one asks this question or makes this statement. It says, one thing I appreciate about WCC, I put that there instead of Waterford Community Church because that was a lot of letters to type. And I just chose WCC. One thing I'm excited about, or excuse me, what does it say? One thing I appreciate about Waterford Community Church is, and go ahead and fill it out. One thing I appreciate about this church is, and I could give you some hints, starting with the pastor. Just kidding. But take a second to write something down there. And if you want to, you can put your name on this. So um, everybody got cards? Are we still trying to get some cards to people? So I think they're coming here. It doesn't have to be long. We give you lots of blanks in case you're long-winded. But, uh, you know, you could just say three words probably, and it would still work. But what's one thing that you're excited, or excuse me, what you appreciate about Waterford Community Church? All right. 
Sorry I'm rushing you, but I want you to take that and I want you to exchange your card with somebody else. Preferably not somebody in your same family, okay? So find somebody somewhere around you that you can just exchange that card with. Somebody else nearby, and, and again, you don't have to participate if you don't want to. There's no pressure here. And if uh, you know, there's nobody close to you, you might have to hang on to yourself. Yeah, if you need to move around, that's fine. Just don't, just don't go looking for anybody out in the lobby, okay? Good. All right, now you can read what you got on your card there, right? So that's what somebody else is excited about. Maybe you thought about that. Maybe you hadn't thought about that, right? But now you have a new card. So you're going to flip it over to side two. And the question is just a little bit different, okay? So what I appreciate is kind of like past tense. What I'm excited about is kind of like future tense. Like something I'm excited that's going on now or that I'm looking forward to in the future or that we just kind of, you know, it's moving forward where I'm looking where we're going, okay? So we're going to do the same thing one more time. This time hopefully a little bit quicker because everybody's got a card. But what's something that you're excited about that's happening here at Waterford Community Church? So the first time... Something I appreciate. Second time, something we're excited about. That's a simple little exercise. But I think it's a good reminder for us about all of the good things that we have. And all the good things that we have as a church here. And we are certainly blessed. And we have seen God do some incredible things. And, and I don't know if anybody realized this or not. I didn't necessarily realize this other than the fact that I was getting emails from my LinkedIn account. I got congratulated on my work anniversary here this week. So I have now been here nine years. Um, so, well, thanks. I, I would hope that I still look every bit as young as I did back then and, uh, and, and all those things. But isn't it incredible to see what God's done in this place in the last nine years? Yeah, it really is, isn't it? And when I start talking about a place, a tribe of positivity, I think this is one of the gifts that God has given us. And some of the things that he's worked in our hearts, in, in our story, to make us this type of church where people can come in and be excited about what's going on and where we are together and where we care about each other and where we love each other. Let me just jump ahead here. and We've got a little bit to finish up here this morning. The story of the church continues on, and it gets to verse or chapter number 4. In verse number 32, it said, All the believers gathered together, and they were one in heart and mind. It doesn't use the word there together, but boy, does that describe it, doesn't it? One in heart and one in mind. It says, God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. There were no needy persons among them from time to time. Some who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. And it brings us to the fourth thing about churches that win. We need to be about people, and people other than ourselves. And that's really the focus of people. The purpose is to share the good news, but to share the good news of Jesus with people, and to love people, and to care about people within the walls of this church, but also outside the walls of this church. And the church should be the place where we do care for each other and pray for each other and meet each other's needs and, and make meals for each other and listen to each other and be patient with each other and hang out with each other and empathize with each other. That's what it's supposed to be about. And this church won in Acts because they were about not themselves, but they were about the people around them. The people around them in the room and the people around them in the community as well. And if we're going to win as a church, we have to be about others and not about ourselves. 
And everything's going great in this church in Acts, and then Acts chapter 5 hits. And there's danger on the horizon. It's the story of Ananias and Sapphira, two members of the team who all of a sudden forget it's supposed to be about other people, and they make it about themselves. And when churches get in trouble, it's when the people who are in the church make the church about themselves. And it's all about what I think it should be, or it's all about my needs being met, and it's all about maybe my agenda here, or it's all about my opinion over here, or it's all about this happened to me, and it becomes very, very me-focused, and it doesn't become others-focused. And Ananias and Sapphira came in, they sold the property, and they brought it to the apostles and said, here, give this to somebody who has need. And, the, and Peter looked at them and said, well, is this how much you sold the land for? And they're like, yes, it was. And it was not what they sold the land for, but the bigger issue was they were giving this not to help people in need, but they were giving this money so that they would get recognition and so that the church would be about them, so that they would have some prestige or some power maybe or some recognition in the church. And when we start to make the church about ourselves, we get into big trouble. So we must resist self-pursuit. We're about to launch this, uh, and some of your small groups have already done this, but this I Will uh, book that we're working through in small groups is great on this. And it really makes the point of the idea that we need to be about what we give and not about what we get. We need to be contributors and not consumers. And that's how churches win. When churches become about themselves, mm -mm. When I was in high school, I played on a basketball team, and guess what? We weren't very good. And we lost a lot of games, but uh, we had this one kid on our team, I'll call him Sam. He was our second best scorer, probably our second best player. And uh, But he was a guy that, um, he, he, he would get like 12 rebounds a game, and he'd get like 10 of them on the offensive end, which if you know anything about basketball, that's exactly backwards. You know, normally they get a few offensive rebounds, a lot of defense. The reason was, because if you got an offensive rebound and you put it back up, you got points. And so he was great at offensive rebound. He never got defensive rebounds because he was never there. He was off at the, running down on the fast break, hoping that somebody would get the rebound and throw the ball to him so he could get a basket. And every game after the game, he would be the first one to run to the scorer's book to see whether or not we, you know, how many points he got. Well, he got in trouble in school, nothing to do with basketball, and he got suspended for the team for, for eight games. And in those eight games, we lost our second leading scorer, and we went 7-1. and one. We weren't really any better talent-wise, but we were better as a team. And we need to be reminded of that. Unity and diversity, right? We need to come together because we're better as a team. And when we get about ourselves, we get into a dangerous place, and we put the health and the success of the team at risk. And we had more talent on the floor when he played. We had less talent when he didn't play. But we won games when he didn't play because we lost that self-serving mentality. Well, there's one last thing I want to mention here. The church goes on through the book of Acts and enjoys great success. The emphasis shifts from Peter being the leader and really the focus goes to Paul as the leader as he takes the church into Gentile territories. And there's an interesting verse I just want to look at as we finish up this morning in Acts chapter 20. 
Paul comes to visit his teammates, or the church in Troas, and it tells us this, on the first day of the week, they, we came together to bake, break bread. And Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave that day, he kept on talking till midnight. You can be grateful that I'm not Paul, okay? But I just like that first phrase there. When he came to Troas on the first day of the week, and that's, by the way, one of the reasons we meet on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the church came together, which was evidently the habit of the church at that time. And if we're going to be a church that wins, we need to be a church that sees coming together as a priority. On winning teams, one of the reasons the teams win is because people show up. If you've ever played on like uh, rec legs or you've played like a, maybe a men's softball team or whatever, it drives you crazy when you don't have enough guys to play. And, you know, I've done that with softball. I've done that with, with soccer teams and you're trying to grab guys from other teams and it just doesn't work very well. Well, that's the deal with the church. It goes all the way back to this diversity thing. Each one of us brings a gift into this body, into this team, and we are dependent upon your gift. And if your gift doesn't get used, then well, somebody has to play out of position. Or somebody has to, to make up and, and try to do two things at once and, and has one more plate to spin. But when we all come together, then the team is at its strongest. And that means sometimes just simply showing up. It means sometimes diving in when there's a need that goes by. But we need to come together. And the church throughout the book of Acts continues to come together for the purpose of going back out. And the church continues to grow because the team that comes together influences the, te- or the, the people that are outside there. But it starts with coming together. And we need to make that a priority in our stories, coming together. And I'm talking even literally, physically being present. We need to fill the energy of people beside us. We need to have people praying for us. We need to be praying for people. We need to serve. We need to give. We need to encourage. We need to be encouraged. But we need the physical presence of people around us. Everybody wants to be on a winner. At least I do. And I think everybody wants to go to a church that's winning. And I'm excited about the wins that we're seeing. But if we're going to be the church that God really wants us to be, if we're going to be the church that wins, we need to pursue that same mission of reaching people and sharing the good news with those who don't know Him who don't know Jesus. We need to do that with Holy Spirit power. We need to be purposeful about being positive. We need to love people. We need to resist that self-pursuit. And we need to prioritize the team. Let's do this together.